As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Several hitters had big changes in their strikeout rate this year, but can we expect repeats in 2021? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three co-crews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, October 5th. I'm Al Melker, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And DVR, no, you and I have both started uh, mock drafts. I imagine we'll spend some time this week talking about those. Um, but it's you know it's given me pause to um, you know dig into the positional rankings from 2020 a little bit deeper, and not surprised to find that second base was really shallow this year as it's been I think for the last few years. But uh, third base too seems like uh, a little shallower than in past years. I hadn't really noticed it yet, but I'm curious to see how and why that's happened. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm taking all this, you know, with a, a little bit of a grain because, again, it's shortened season and who knows who might rise, who might, you know, fall if, if given the chance to to play a, a full season. But, you know, we'll certainly during the offseason, you know, get into each of the positions in great depth. But I'm setting this show up this way, DBR, because... And looking at the, that positional depth and figuring out, you know, how to how to address those positions in a mock draft, I came across each position and, and saw a couple of players in particular that didn't perform the way I thought they would this year. And one of them was Whit Merrifield. Uh, basically, he and DJ LeMahieu were the elite at second base. And then part of, you know, when you said, you know, well, why was third base maybe shallower than in past years? You know, part of that was that Rafael Devers just didn't have as good of a season. So I want to talk about both of these players. But one thing that they have in common or had in common in 2020 was that their strikeout rates changed pretty dramatically. So if we start with Merrifield and we start looking at the second base landscape in 2019, Merrifield's strikeout rate was 17.1 percent this year, just 12.5 percent. So that helped bolster his uh, his batting average, um, you know, got him on base more than it, it would have otherwise. And, you know, my question to you is that do you trust that kind of change 
in a season, especially a short one. And if you don't, what does that say about DJ LeMahieu and where we ought to target him? Yeah, so the first thing I'm noticing about Whit Merrifield is that even with the best strikeout rate of his career, we saw the lowest batting average of his career. Now, his floor is crazy high in the category. 282 is nothing to scoff at whatsoever, but he drew fewer walks than ever. So with the OBP being down, you worry about run production tailing off. Uh, Still stole a lot of bases, ran more than I expected. He was a better player than I expected this year, and I can't figure out how he did it with this profile, how he didn't just maintain what he was doing before and just kind of be one of those metronome sort of guys. Uh, But I think with Merrifield, the thing I always get hung up on is he's old. He kind of came up as a late 20, like 27, 28-year-old a couple years ago and didn't even have a full-time role. And I think I've always been skeptical of him because I just think the drop-off is going to be steep. And maybe I'm just flat-out wrong about him as a player. Maybe there's a better set of core skills there than I realized. Even if you want to push him back to his previous K rates, those are fine. For a guy that's there for his batting average and speed, there's nothing wrong with his approach. Uh, This year in particular, I mean, he swung outside the zone a little less, but within the normal ranges of his career, he was actually more aggressive inside the strike zone, which really isn't a bad thing. And I wonder if the batting average actually dropped because he was making more contact outside the zone. You know, you're not going to hit a ball very hard when you hit a pitch that's outside the strike zone. So the biggest jump in the profile really comes there. And I don't necessarily like that. But in a 60-game season, I'm not going to look at that and say, that's who Whit Merrifield is now. Uh, so it's really a long way of saying, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned by those changes. And I'm not necessarily buying into a 12.5% K rate going forward either. I think Whit Merrifield is largely the player we saw for 2018 and 2019. I wouldn't expect stolen bases to continue at the rate he was running in 2020 either. I mean, 12 steals in 60 games is about a 30 or so steal pace over a full season. I think it's a really tough expectation to put on a player at age 32 next year. Yeah, and I agree. And I mean, I I could co-sign pretty much everything that you said. Like, I I just I expected him to start dropping off this year. I didn't get him anywhere. Thought he was going for a little too much, uh, you know, back in March. Uh, but it's it's really a conundrum what to make of this profile because uh, if, if you miss on him and you miss on LeMahieu, um, I mean, you're either hoping that Brandon Lau uh, continues the, the steps forward that he made or um, Jose Altuve bounces back somehow. But, I mean, it's a big drop-off uh, from those two, uh, at least, you know, theoretically, who knows what happens with the rest of the field. But, I mean, you can't really expect anybody else to, to meet the level that Merrifield and LeMahieu met in, in 2020, uh, looking at next year. So uh, do you have a general approach? Uh, are, are you going to go a little bit harder after one of those two? Uh, are you just going to you know pick up whatever's available later on in the draft? I might prioritize second base early because I'm still thinking about the piece that Owen Poindexter wrote back in the spring showing the shape of each position and even going into 2020. It fell off a lot after the top five, top six or so. There was that cluster of LeMahieu, McNeil, and Muncie guys that are eligible at multiple spots. That seemed pretty safe. And then once you got past that, there was kind of a, a black hole for a while until you got to the Cesar Hernandez types, the guys that are going to play every day. And you know because of that volume, they'll likely help you over a full season. I think it's weird. When you look at this season, you see guys like Ozzy Albies, probably not even a top 15 second baseman in terms of earned value this year, but he missed a lot of time. I think he's kind of the mm-hmm. the class of the position if everything's going right. So 
Uh, I think buying into a bounce back from him, you could maybe talk yourself into a discounted Keston Hira. I know he's got some work to do to bring that K rate down. High fastballs just ate him up in 2020, so he's going to have to make some adjustments. If you believe he can make those adjustments based on some of the lower K rates we saw from him in the minors, I think he could make sense at the right price. And then there's Cattell Marte. What the heck went wrong for Marte this season? Two homers, one steal in 45 games. I mean, a 287 average is fine, but the lack of power or speed, that was something I did not see coming at all from him. So I'm, I might be looking closer at him for a possible bounce back. And I guess Glaber Torres, I mean, another guy who was hurt. I still believe in him. Uh, it's a lot like the Albi situation. Those guys are so young and those core skills are so good that I can't take an injury shortened, shortened season and completely change my tune for what I think those guys are going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you, you, yeah, you could certainly wait on them, uh, you know, probably at a discount and maybe get uh, potentially the, the best player at the position in, in 2021. Uh, and before we do move on to, um, to Rafael Devers and, and looking at that third base landscape, um, there was another player on the leaderboard. Now, I've pulled up a, a, a tool here that I really like on fan graphs. It's the season stat grid where you can compare the rise or fall in a, in a given statistic from year to year. And um, is, is uh, much of a drop as Merrifield had in his um, in his strikeout rate. He was actually just 16th out of players that had at least 400 plate appearances last year and at least 150 this year. So there were a lot of players that had even more sizable drops ahead of him. Uh, but for the most part, these are players who had high high strikeout rates in 2019 that just went back to their norm. Like Will Myers, he led the majors uh, in this group with uh, almost a 9 percentage point drop in strikeout rate, but he just, with the 25%, 25.7% rate, he just got back to where he had been before. But Bryce Harper, like Merrifield, he had a career low, 17.6%, 8.5% points below where he was a year ago. Uh, do you think uh, that makes Harper worth, well, do you think it makes him worth targeting a little extra, or is the uh, regression maybe coming for him, much like it came for other players this year? I think I'm less inclined to significantly upgrade Harper based on this because this is within the range of outcomes that I think we reasonably could have expected, albeit at the the higher end. I think he's shown us elite skills in various categories at different points in the past. You can go back to 2015 and 2016 and even 2017, and you saw 20% and even one season a sub-20% K rate in 2016. He had an 18.7%. Mark. So I think it's possible for him to stay under 20% over a full season. He's proven that before. What makes this really surprising is that strikeouts around the league seem to be up for a lot of players. So to go the other direction just kind of says, okay, well, like why? Like what, what caused it? And I haven't been able to figure out what exactly it is in Harper's case yet, but there's still a ton of red ink on his stat cast page. So just at a glance, the fact that he's still hitting the ball hard with that reduced strikeout rate, that gets me pretty excited because if you bring the K rate down, but you lose some hard contact, you're making a trade-off. And maybe it is the trade-off we just talked about where you're hitting some pitches outside the zone, not hitting those balls as hard. Those are less likely to be hits. That wasn't the case with Bryce Harper at all. His XBA was a career-best 307. His X-Slug was a career-best 657. So I think he's one of those guys you're going to get probably in round two of a lot of drafts in 2021, maybe in smaller leagues. He occasionally falls to round three where you're feeling really good because you're getting a player that brings just as much to the table as a lot of mid and late first round picks do. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's move on then uh, to third base DVR and also moving on to third base, uh, focusing on some players who saw their strikeout rates go up. And uh, like I mentioned uh, at the outset, Rafael Devers was somebody who really caught my uh, attention here. Strikeout rate going up 10 points exactly from last year, 17 to 27%. Um, and the batting average, uh, you know, uh, taking on the, the damage there as a result of that. Uh, in fact, there were only three players that met the qualifications in terms of playing time that I outlined earlier that had a bigger jump than him. Matt Chapman, Austin Meadows, and Christian Yelich. And I'm going to, I specifically want to zero in on Yelich because his profile turns out to be pretty interesting. But um, what do you make of Devers for next year? And again, you know, given the pattern that players that had extreme changes oftentimes uh, regress the following year, do you think that Devers is a good target uh, for for a comeback and and just in general in drafts, yeah, I think he's a great target. I, I wonder. This is one of the great mysteries of this season is the players who were impacted by COVID directly, and I, I think Devers, you know, might be one of those guys because he was missing some time during camp. Maybe he just wasn't quite right at the plate initially. I think that could easily throw off timing and cause the strikeout rate to soar. Uh, I think you look back at 2018. This is similar to the Harper situation, but in the other direction. A 27% K rate wouldn't have blown our minds coming off of 24.7% in 2018. It's only mind-blowing to us because last season was so much better in this regard. Um, so I think, if anything, it gets me to ask the simple question, is 2019 an outlier? And even if I don't believe in what 2020 ended up being for his K rate, if that's the upper bound of his range, what's his actual baseline? Is his baseline low to mid-20s? Or is his baseline sub-20? And I think it's more the former than the latter. But the reason why I'm interested in Devers is that a lot of the underlying stat cast numbers are still really good. Similar to Harper, right? Average exit velocity up at 93 miles per hour. Max exit velocity up at a career best, 116.7. The barrel rate, 12.1%. That's a career best for him as well. So he was doing a lot of things well when he was making contact. And I think the hit tool is better than it was demonstrated to be in 2020, even if it's not as good as we saw from Devers in 2019 in a typical year. All right. Well, and I do want to talk about Yelich here because um, digging into his stat page, it it just fascinated me. Um, now we're talking about strikeout rates here and strikeout rates after 60 games are kind of stable, but not as stable as ideally you'd like them to be. But if you get more granular, swinging strike rate, that's already that already got stable for anybody that that played, you know, the bulk of those 60 games. 
And Christian Yelich, had this humongous increase in his strikeout rate from 20.3 to 30.8%. His whiff rate went down. <laughs> the, the stat that's actually more reliable and got more stable actually improved in 2020. I mean, that is just amazing to me. It's bizarre. And I, I mean, I watched a lot of Yelich. I'm a Brewers fan. If people haven't heard that yet from listening to pods over the last several years. Um, and with Yelich, it, it kind of felt like he he was getting the opposite of the MVP treatment in terms of ball and strike call. Like a lot of close calls that I think went the other way. And I'm going to run a query at some point and kind of look at you know who had the most pitches near the zone that were not in the zone that were called strikes and see if Yelich was an outlier in that regard. Uh, there was also, I think, some situations where he ended up having to guess a lot more than he'd ordinarily seemed to be guessing. He, he just looked confused in a lot of plate appearances, which when he's going well, he doesn't look confused at all. It looks like he's dictating everything about an at-bat in those situations. So it's a, it's a huge puzzle for me. I think the question with Yelich is, how early are you comfortable taking him? Because I think he's easily still a first-rounder, but you're passing on guys that don't have that scary 60-game season where skills went a bit sideways and the underlying numbers still look good for Yelich. Stat cast numbers look great. But the K-rates jumping as much as they did for him, and I think Cody Bellinger was one of those guys as well, has kind of pushed those guys toward the back of the first round. Do you feel like that's a huge discount, or do you think that's the appropriate price going into 2021? Well, I'll put it this way. I, I, I like the price. Uh, I, for Bellinger, I actually feel like it's appropriate. I think for Yelich, it might be too, more of a discount than he deserves. because And, and just to qualify what I said about Bellinger, uh, that he had this huge start in 2019 and then you know dropped off some. So maybe he just kind of found his level there and and maybe uh you know he'll he'll rebound from what he did this year but i, I don't know that he's ever going to have the stat line like he had for end of season 2019 so i feel like late first round for bellinger is pretty fair for yelich i mean the only real skill or profile change from him this year was just swinging less and i think that you know in combination like you said with some of those borderline calls uh, led to a big increase in strikeouts. But as you mentioned, he still hits the ball really hard. He's He whiffed less this year. Um, I don't see much risk. I don't either. For as bad as things look in that one category, and just to bring it all home, uh, Christian Yelich was tied for fourth in Major League Baseball this season in pitches that StatCast had located outside the strike zone that were called strikes. So the top of that list is Max Muncy, Nick Solak, Brandon Nimmo, and then Carlos Santana and Christian Yelich are tied with 37 pitches called against them, which really turns around in at bat. Like if you look at uh, the outcomes over the course of a plate appearance, falling behind 0-1 versus going ahead 1-0 changes a lot about the outcome. Yeah, well, it's interesting stuff, and uh, you know I think the the laws of regression are on Yelich's side as well. So um, you know uh, maybe I'll wind up with a lot of Christian Yelich for next year, but. Uh, We'll have uh, lots of time to ponder that and uh, our, our mock drafts and such. But for this episode, we're going to wrap things up, DVR. So uh, if you're all listening to this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be right back here on Tuesday. 